0: Hey guys, it's your host, Unique. Welcome to episode eight of Dear Black Girl. Now, if this is your first time, tuning in to Dear Black Girl and you haven't had a chance to check out the first eight episodes. Quick rundown, Dear Black Girl is a show where we combine music and storytelling from a black woman's perspective. So our guest, sorry, I'm <laughs> sorry to lose my voice. Um, our guest comes in with her playlist and each song on her playlist holds a significance within her life and she shares those stories. Every Monday, you can check out the playlist on Spotify entitled "Just Head Over to Our Instagram Page at Dear Black Girl Pod and Hit the Link in the Bio, and it'll take you to one of the playlists. So, without further ado, Dear Black Girl, meet Shanae Dixon. Now, Shanae is the owner of Say Grace Catering Service. Yes. And you also have this book coming out that you were telling us about a few weeks ago yes. called With
1: This Plate I The Wed.
0: And I love the concept of it. Can you like explain it?
1: Absolutely. So it came to me in a dream, I'll say a vision. Um, everybody knows with the little little games little kids and little girls play when they want to get married or they're thinking about things. And you'll say, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. And so when I heard it in my spirit, I said, what does that mean to me? And God definitely opened my eyes and uncovered that it was the book that I was going to write that was going to shape my career pretty much and like pave the way. And so the book is a book about the progression of a relationship from courtship to your first year anniversary. And it allows you to also work the kids in in the middle. So the recipes will change based on how your relationship is moving along or developing.
0: So can you give us some examples of these recipes that we could find in the book? Okay, so
1: some of the recipes that I have are the recipes that work. And then there's recipes that don't work. And that's just because in reality, every dish that I've ever served my husband or my family has not always worked. And so I wanted to kind of like be truthful about how I prepared the food and why I prepared it. And so you'll have some meals in there that are very spicy and those are towards the end. In the first year anniversary, a lot of times what happens in the marriage is you know, things will die down. You guys will kind of get used to what marriage is all about. You'll understand. You'll bump into a couple of rough patches, you know, in the first and second year of marriage. And you need to kind of, like, spice things up. So why not spice things up in your kitchen that will help you take those things into the bedroom? And so... We, a lot of times, get caught up when we're preparing our food with just doing the same old thing. So Monday is fried chicken, Tuesday is spaghetti, you know, <laughs> same old thing. And so with the towards the end of the book, when you're looking into getting things spicier instead of using those same old recipes or those same old ingredients, we're, a- we're asking you to explore not just your marriage, but to also explore different spices. So you may have not been used to using cumin or coriander or star anise in your food or allspice, but now if you use these things, will those things spice up and ignite fire in you that will want to bring you into the bedroom to spice those things up as well? Um, with children... Everybody knows things have to be done in 30 minutes. They have a very short attention (laughs) span. They can't wait. They're starving. They're hungry. They're about to die. They're going to fall out. And so in the middle of the book, when you're talking about buns in the oven and having children, you're making things a lot more fun to eat. You're making things that the kids can help put their hands in, touching dough and learning what flour is and some, you know, also learning about the kitchen itself and making it safe for the kids. You know, a lot of times when, Men and women come into these relationships, and they have children. They're just learning themselves as well how to operate and navigate in the kitchen with children. So we're teaching you not only how to teach your kids how to prepare food, but we're also teaching them how to behave in the kitchen. Don't touch around the stove; it's hot. Instead of you touching it to know that it's hot, let me teach you that it's hot. So those things are in the book as well. It's all real life. It's all things that I've done. It's all things that I've experienced with marriage and with children. And it's it's a it's a reality play, a real reality play on being a wife
0: that's cool because it's like a self-help relationship book mixed with a cooking book which is never like ever been done it's unheard of yes and i think that's (laughs) such a cool concept (laughs) (laughs) like who never Thought thought to put those two things together like here you guys go that's all mine that's why That's beautiful. It's truly (laughs) all mine. No one can say, if I see
1: this coming out, it's like I'm going to go right to that person's house and bop them right upside the head because I know (laughs) that this thing is just for me. It was for me to explain to people. And I think it's because of how I feel about family, you know, not just about being a wife or having a husband or anything like that, because I don't want anyone to think that the book is just about being in a marriage. The Mm -hmm. book is about developing a relationship. We don't know what the relationship is. I'm not putting a label on it. I'm saying that when two people or when someone comes in contact with another person, you have to know how to develop that relationship. Food is an excellent vehicle to do that because... We all use it, you know, in our in our everyday life. It's, hey, girl, let's go meet at the such and such or, you know, let's sit down for drinks or whatever, you know, or let's do a play date. Meet me at Chuck E. Cheese, whatever it is. It's always revolving around good times and food. And so it's something that I, it's a tutorial and a testimony at the same time about how I was able to evolve into who I am today using food. Food is what unleashed me it released me it allowed me it relieved me it allowed me to be who I want to be you know you hear all these things with these artists when they come out with the album after they turn 18 they're 20 years old now and they're like oh I'm myself now and this is who I am and it's all it's an expression of my my inside or whatever and it's all (laughs) erotic and sexual and it's like you know what that's what food did for me it allowed me to really um be myself. You know what I'm saying? It was it was about figuring out who I really was. And the food helped me do that because it allowed me to encounter people. People are what also shaped me. How I am with them, how I interact with them shapes me. So I thank God for the food. You know, that's, that's the saying the grace part. Say grace. Thank God for the food because the food really blessed me. It did help me. So how did you get into like cooking? My grandmother was a cook. Um, and I love the fact that you say cooking. I do not consider myself to be a chef. Um, I say that I'm hashtag real cook, and I say that because my grandmother was a real cook. She fed thousands of people in her lifetime. She lived 81 years, and she published... uh, three cookbooks. Um, She also published a book about our history in life, but her love and her passion was food. It was about bringing people together. Whether she put all her love into that meatball, those 35 meatballs that she counted putting it in a pot she knew that it was going to bring people together. She didn't have to put a whole lot of effort in it, but she knew that people were coming there for the food. And I learned that I wanted to bring those two things together. Not only do I want people to come together, I also want them to enjoy and rave about the food. And so I have to put a little bit more oomph in it than my grandmother did. But Mm -hmm. she's the one who gave me the base and the foundation to want to love it. I watched her and she loved it and she did it for her family and for the people that she truly did care about. And so now I was able to extend... That, not to just the people that I love and care about right here in my, my own little circle, but my territory has been expanded because so many people have been able to encounter me and the food and I have been able to encounter them.
0: So when did you realize that this is what I want to do, this is going to be my career path?
1: I knew that food was going to be my ultimate goal at some point, I would say roughly about 10 years ago. I didn't follow my passion that 10 years ago. I was standing in front of a building and I wanted to rent it and I wanted to uh, open up like a fish spot. And, you know, it was really, really small. It was a small idea, but it was the first it was the first idea. That's where the, the idea birthed itself right there on that block on Brook Street in Staten Island. And standing in front of that building, I asked my husband, I'm like, you know, do you think that we could like rent this out? It's really cheap. I went and talked to the lady and she's like ready to turnkey. It. And he was like, no. He just (laughs) shut that bad boy down like, nope, we're not doing it. And I'm like, I mean, everything in me, like, was crushed. I wanted to cry all the way back to the house. And I didn't cry. I sucked it up. I ended up selling food out of my house back then, 10 years ago, and What I was doing was I just targeted people that wanted food done during the holiday. So I started frying turkeys. I heard about this place in Brooklyn. They were frying turkeys. The line was long. I was like, hey, why can't I do that? I'm not scared of the oil popping and all that kind of stuff. And so I started selling food out of the house, doing people's, you know, turkey dinner with all the fixings. And people were raving about their Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't get a whole lot of business, but I also was very young in what I was doing. I was premature. I wasn't marketing. I wasn't really pushing it. I was comfortable with being where I was because I worked a regular job. And so I figured it out three years ago and my husband helped me figure it out. And that's where the whole idea of this book came from it was because he truly supported something that I didn't see. And so, after many uh days and nights of crying and being depressed, I had been teaching for 10 years with the New York City Department of Education, and I'm sitting there at the couch and suffering, going through it, and he handed me his check and he just said, "Hey, take my check this week and go to the store and buy some food and sell it out of the house and see what happens." And that's where Say Grace was born. You know, it the idea of cooking was born 10 years ago, but Say Grace had its birth in 2014, and that was in March. It was right after the birth of my son. And so um, when he handed me his check, it was one blast on Facebook that day, and we doubled our money that day, and I was unable to stop. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the locomotive, as he would say, just kept going. Whether people got on or got off, it was not going to stop. and. I embraced it right then and there. I didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't know how far it was going to go, but I embraced it. I said, you know what? I really think that this thing might actually work. And I didn't think that it was going to work because people are going to love my food. I thought it was, I knew that it was going to work because the people that I truly did love were supporting it. You know, I don't think that you can move forward in any vision or any act and not have support. You're going to lose momentum. You're going to break down some days. And you need somebody to be standing there telling you this is going to work. Get up. Stop it. Don't cry. Suck it up. You're being a baby. You don't know, go through it. So what, you cut yourself. So what, you got burnt. And that's in every area of my life. Um, But my husband didn't allow for failure. He said this is going to work. And so every time that I tried to break down and get weak and, and give up, he was standing right there holding me and so that thing really kept me in in the game and, and and it still keeps me in the game and my my group has grown you know in support and so i i have to do this not for me but for everybody else that's wanting me and watching me to do it they're watching me saying "Shoney, I know I can do it," you know, because you're doing it and so how can, how dare you stop? You know what I mean? How dare you go back in your house and crawl back into your little hole and then put your little work clothes on and go back to work and just, you know, ignore all of the blessings that were in front of you, you know, all because you got tired or you were broke down or somebody hurt you or somebody talked bad about you. Those things don't stop me anymore. They used to try, but trying is failing and they all failed. And I know that this is all about my vision and my success and my support and the people out there that want me to do it. That's
0: So Many Gems. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's take it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, let's get into like song number five. Let's do song number five. Okay. So for song <laughs> number five, what do you
1: have? Um, I believe I put um, Living My Life Like It's Golden. Jill Scott is a big inspiration for me. Um, not just because of her music, but because she testified to the things that she went through and she didn't allow those things to break her. And for her to actually celebrate that this is this is who I am and you have to accept it and, and and this is all I'm giving you, I really felt like I needed to walk in those footsteps and I truly appreciate the black girl that she is because she's truly comfortable in who she is and what she has and what she has to offer. And today, now, I know it's like, Although I've 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 shed 50 pounds and I'm a different person today, I'm still the same loving person that I was before, but I've definitely evolved from who I was. And so I am truly experiencing living life like I'm golden. And I'm not saying like I'm golden. I'm saying living my life and I'm golden because I know that I have great worth in this world for whomever is looking for me to testify or share or encourage or feed. That's what I'm doing out here. And I'm doing it in a golden way. You know, I'm, I'm a prized. I'm prized. You know what I'm saying? And I'm the possession of Christ and he's holding me. And so I know if I'm heir to a king that high, I'm rich in this thing.
0: What led to that, that type of, what's the word for it? enlightenment? Because I know like a lot of people, they search their lives trying to find a realization and it doesn't.
1: It never comes to fruition because we don't wake up. We don't open our eyes and we don't want to experience the parts that fail. And so I believe that when I woke up and saw that I was golden, it was after huge adversity and trial. I had been broken down near death. My health was failing. I was giving up on myself. I had anxiety. I was depressed. I was suffering with panic attacks. And I'm doing all of this with with family. You know, all these people are depending on me, and I'm trying to give up. I'm trying to die. I'm trying to you know, say that it's over and that I don't have anything else to live for. And the day that I snapped out of it, you know, I had gone through so many different processes to snap out of it. It was painful and it was like a tree. You know what I mean? With my family, I know how important the family tree is to me, but I also know how important pruning a tree is to give it more life. And sometimes you got to tear some things down. You got to break them up. You got to poke at them. You got to probe them. You got to talk bad about it. You got to say this is not working and then you accept what's really standing there in front of you. And that was me. You know, it's you either can love me or you can hate me. There's no gray area in between. You can't say today I like you or, you know, you I or anything like that. It's you either love me or you hate me. You know what I'm saying? It's this is all that I'm giving you. I can't give you any more. You know, otherwise I'm killing myself trying to create something for you so that you can accept me. That's not fair to me that I can't be me. You know what I mean? So when I realized Anxiety is not for me. That's not me. Depression is not for me. That's not me. And you know, panic attacks, that's not me. That's definitely not me. That is not me. And so when I agreed to say, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to live up to whatever it is that God said that I am, and I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to do to enjoy all of that because that's hard. The door's opened up. The light came on. The 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 covers were lifted off my eyes. I said I'm beautiful. I'm 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 you know, I'm I got zeal, I got energy. I love people. I ain't perfect. When I accepted that, it was like there was no stopping. Absolutely no stopping. So I'm I'm impressed with God making sure that he allowed me to see how golden life could truly be once you accept who you are and why you were sent here. My purpose is great. And and I I expect great from it. You know, it may not be on a level that somebody else may be experiencing. But right now where I'm at, I don't have a whole lot. I'm not wealthy, but I got God. I have my family. I have my business. I have my I have my friends. I have you guys supporting me. Who would have thought that I'd be here right now? Why shouldn't my eyes be open and my life be golden if you're interviewing me? You know what I mean? Who am I? I'm somebody to everybody because I am somebody. You know what I mean? So I can accept that.
0: So I want to know, like, what led to those dark moments that you had in the past? If you don't mind sharing.
1: I don't mind sharing that at all. What led to those dark moments were, it was me. I was blocking those blessings. I was blocking who that person was. I wasn't allowing me to be me because I desire to be validated by everything and everybody that I thought was going to make me feel like a better person. You know, sometimes we get caught up in, you know, walking in our shoes and living our life, and then we stop and we're standing there thinking, you know, who's watching? Who's looking at me? Who's accepting me? Who's my friend? Who's not my friend? Who am I impressing? Who am I not impressing? If I take this selfie, how many likes am I going to get? You know what I mean? That's our life all day long, constantly searching for validation. And what I realized was I don't need anybody to like me or... You know, say that they love me. God loves me. He sent me these people here to love me, and that's really all that I need. But when I was going through it, I was so busy looking to impress. I was so busy looking to have friendship. I was so busy looking for, you know, how come I don't have a bestie? You know, how come I'm not hanging out? How come I'm not going to the club? How how come I'm not playing around? How come I don't have money? How come I don't have? You know, it was always constantly thinking about the things that I don't have, you know what I mean? And those things started to stress me. It was like, how do I get them? Now every day it was about the rat race getting into it to try to figure out how can I get over there where they're at. When I let all of that go, you know, and I stopped thinking about how do I get over there where they're at, and maybe they should be thinking about how they can get over here where I'm at, you know what I mean, then I can enjoy my life. But until then, I'm going to suffer going through those things. You know, I can't please everybody. I can't make everybody like me. I can't make anybody love me. You know, but I know where my love comes from. I know where my help comes from. I know where my support comes from. I know where my encouragement is coming from. And so I was I was glad the day that I was healed from those things. People think that they can't get out of anxiety. And a lot of times, it's sad to say, in the society we live in today, everybody's okay with accepting these illnesses and these ailments. And, oh, my my diabetes and, you know, my anxiety is killing me and my depression and my blood pressure. Why do you keep claiming those things as being yours? You know what I mean? I I learned to say, oh, yeah, uh, I might have had diabetes or, you know, I was struggling with anxiety or, you know, I definitely knew what the experience was like to have panic attacks. And when I realized that I had to change my language and not claim things that didn't belong to me, That's when my life started to evolve. I stopped. I definitely made sure that words, power in my words were not going to serve me any bull crap. You know, I'm not going to let me say something that's going to play out because I allowed it to because I put it in the atmosphere. I learned that I had to be very careful about my words. And so I don't say things like I'm tired. I ain't ready to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? I might say, oh, yeah, I had a long day. I'm pooped, whatever, you know, but I'm not going to say I'm tired. No, God, I don't want you to put me to sleep and lay me down because I'm not tired. I'm not ready to go. You know, I don't say things like my sickness or my ailments. I definitely say that I might be struggling with it and and and, and I know that it's going to go away, you know, but I will claim healing and I will claim excellence and I will claim enjoying my life and I will claim prosperity but I'm not going to claim adversity. I'm definitely not doing that.
0: Song number four. I Won't Complain
1: is a gospel song, and I don't care who sings it. It could be your auntie in the back of the church singing with the pianist in the front of the church. That song truly blesses my life every single time that I hear it. I was the biggest complainer in all the world. I complained about everything, and I realized it wasn't getting me anywhere. And so now today, I can definitely say I won't complain. You know why? Nobody's listening. When did you realize
0: that? <laughs> <laughs> because people complain all the time. I complain all the time. It's just why? Like... Who's listening to you when you complain? I don't know.
1: Nobody. nobody's listening to you. They are tuning you out. They don't care that you are going through what you're going through. And they're definitely not going to try to take you out of that situation. All they're going to do is either egg you on to keep complaining. And whoever that person is, their name is Misery. And they want you to be miserable. And so why complain? I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be unhappy. So what's the point in complaining? I realized, you know, it was like... Go to God, tell him what it is. Not in a complaining way, although God does accept all my complaints. He listens, and then he answers, and he's like, yeah, girl, I don't really want to hear all that, (laughs) but what do you want me to do? You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, what do you want from me? And so I realized that, you know, nobody was really listening to me when I was complaining. I was kind of, like, invisible. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, really? You hate your job? Dang. You know, like, they didn't have an excuse for me. They didn't have a you know, a way out, they didn't have anything. They just keep, you know, they pretend like they're listening or they're going to continue to make that situation worse for me. And so when I realize I don't want to really complain about these things anymore, I just kind of want to give it to God and walk away from it. You know, everybody walks around with the cliche, let go and let God, girl, you know, everybody say that to you all the time and they half the time don't believe it. You know what I mean? So now I want people to see, I believe it. I'm not going to complain about it because I gave that to him already. He got that. He's taking care of that. I don't got to worry about that. At the end of the day, I know when I fall asleep, all my worries, all my issues, all my concerns are being handled by him. He is going through each one of those things, marking them with a a, a marker or whatever. He's using his special marker, and he's sending angels out, dispatching them every day to deal with my problems. Because I promise you, I don't have no problems. I love my life right now. I just said it to my husband yesterday. I said, you know what? I know you're at work, and I hate that you're at your job and everything, but... I don't want to brag, babe, but I love my life. You know what I mean? Like I really love it. And he was like, you know, he took like a deep breath and kind of like trying to take all that in like. <sighs> and he's like, um uh yeah. He's like, "Babe, I know you love your life and I'm really happy. He's a happy wife, happy life." I said, "Exactly. I thank you for making my life so enjoyable you know what i mean you get up and you go to work you're sacrificing for me and i know that's not what you want to do and so everything that i'm doing with say grace with shawnee dixon um you know with private chef services with this book every venture that i'm i'm looking to be successful is to pave the way so that he can create his dreams and he can use those things to come out and be who he wants to be be him you know and not have to punch a clock and deal with the job that he's in, I'm not knocking anybody that punches the clock and works from nine to five because in this life we need people in every space, in every place in this world. And some of those people are going to work and being the best at what they do. You know what I mean? But for those people that have those inner passions that really want to experience life on a more, you know, uh, what is it? Carpe diem kind of live your life kind of life. I want them to experience that. If you have something really burning inside of you that, makes you get up every day and say I can't keep doing this and I need to get to that I want them to do that I want I want them to figure out how to put their feet on the ground and just go it's gonna be scary it is not fun it is it is a beat up kind of job it's It's you taking a beating every single day, facing all of your fears every single day, saying this might not work, this might not work. And every single time that you face those fears, you are beating the odds. You are working. It is working. You know, this is powerful. This is a prosperous job. This is no longer my job. This is my career. It is my dream. It is my passion. Once you can adopt those words, you'll realize that all those things are behind you. You know, but we get so caught up in being in those things right there, and we get stuck just seeing just this. You know what I mean? It's not just this. If you move forward, and you take the necessary steps that were ordered for you, you will get to where you want to be. You just have to be, you know, a lot more optimistic, more positive. You know, you have to accept that everything's not going to go your way. It's not going to always be easy. Once you get past that, you're good.
0: And going back, like, the fact that your husband motivates you and allowed you to go chase your dreams first It's mm-hmm. a blessing. Because I feel like you always hear stories about how women put a hole in their dreams to support mm-hmm. their men's yep. dreams. So it's like that reverse is like such a blessing. It's it's huge. It's huge because
1: he's a man. You know what I mean? He, he's, he wants to be the man of the house. He wants to be the man in this relationship. He wants to be the man over his children. And so for him to actually take a step back and say, I'm going to let you shine. Go ahead. You rock, girl. You know what I mean? Because you got this. I don't think that he's doing it with any kind of private or hidden agenda. I think that he really is doing it genuinely because he loves me. He wants to see me happy and he knows, you know, a lot of times he can't buy me gifts. He can't take me out on lavished vacations. He can't do this. So why can't I put some of the things that I want to do on hold for you as a gift to you? You know what I mean? These things are not free. You know, they are not um, easy. They're not easy for him being a man and having a natural male ego, you know. So for him to be able to put all of that aside and let his wife just do what she does. And he says, I bask in watching you, you know, do these things. They make me happy. I love to see you doing those things. They motivate me. They charge me and they make me want to drive towards my dreams, you know. So I'm glad that I'm a I'm allowed one to be that person for him because he didn't have to allow me to do it. He could have said, no, babe, you gotta go to work and we need your health insurance because it's free and you know, all these things. He could have made all these excuses to keep me from doing that, but he handed me his check. That's a big, that's a big deal, you know. One, we our cable was due and everything else was due and all these bills. And he handed me his check. He just said, take it, and I trust that your hands are going to bless this house. And that's what it did. How do you find a blessing like that? <laughs> <laughs> two weeks. Two weeks. That's all it took. I mean, after maybe a day or so, he was ready to marry me. And he he, he proposed after two weeks. So, really? So <laughs> dead serious. That's why this book got to come out, because I really need to share this story. You know, it's like an amazing, amazing story. I was... I had two kids by the time I met him. My my second was only two months. And in that two months of getting ready, preparing myself to raise two daughters on my own, he comes into my life and he was gung-ho about being my husband and being their father and making sure that he was going to look out for them. He didn't care about what the adversity was going to be in blending a family he brought a son into the situation and so we were already three kids to the good you know as newlyweds and to not get to experience that uh happy american dream and marrying each other and having children and you know all of that god still showed us that this Situation was still perfect, you know, and and he came out of nowhere, you know, in the hood of now born New Brighton City. He just showed up in the park at Mahoney and was like, yo, I want to kick it with you. How much is that fish sandwich? I was selling fish sandwiches at the time in the park. And um, he just showed up and said, hey, how much is a fish sandwich? And he kept asking me over and over again. I'm like, yo, is this guy like stupid or something? Is he not hearing me saying how much this fish sandwich is? And he had enough money, but he would peel off a little bit and then hand me whatever he had in his pocket, and I would let him take it. And that was his game. He has no game. So I know <laughs> he's not out there trying to do nothing because he ain't got no game. And um, and he won me over. And so I'm accepting that, you know, this was the man that was for me because he came in and he accepted me with all my mess. I definitely came with a whole lot of baggage, you know, and and he was willing to, sh- you know, just as chivalry is, it's such a blessing he grabbed my bags and laid his jacket down and allowed me to walk over every puddle in my life and step right on anything that he had and he was holding everything for me. and That was a huge blessing. You know, just being the black girl and having a black man, you know, those things are already odds against us to not work. And we're 13 years, we're 15 years in, but we're 13 years in marriage and that's huge for us because there were many straws that could have broken this camel's back and I didn't give up and neither did he. And that's That's where really marriage is. Marriage is how much are you willing to put up with before you say you'll give up. You know what I mean? And we don't allow ourselves to say we're going to give up. We just keep fighting. Song number three. Song number three. Mm -hmm. Hate on me. Jill Scott again, who I told you I love dearly. Hate on me I chose because... When I decided to come into this business, there were a lot of people doing what I do. And I'm not saying that I was the first, but when I stepped on the scene, as Wu-Tang and them said, everybody was petrified. They saw what I had. And so, of course, I had to deal with a lot of hate. I had to deal with not just hate from people that were doing what I'm doing, but... I experienced so much negativity, you know, with family, with friends, with people that were around me, you know, in the business, you know, clients, anybody, it was everybody was coming from everywhere. And that was all just a part of the test to try to get me to leave my passion alone. It was, it was there to try to extinguish that, you know, was going to try to put the fire out and put the zeal out for really pursuing my, my reality. I don't call it my dream. It's my reality. And so... When I realized that people were really hating, it was like, okay, so this is, this is nice. You know, I'm actually worth hating. You know what I mean? Like people are out there to hate you. I'll never forget. A pastor had said during a sermon one time, people were created to annoy you. God made sure that he birthed and groomed and, you know, conceived and all that and raised somebody to hate you and be the thorn in your side and that was a test to see if you were going to make it through and so yes I am a rose and I am in a rose bush and there are many thorns you know some of them are on the inside of me where it's me getting in my own way and then there are things on the outside of me that try to get in my way and hurt me but if we allow ourselves to grow and we allow God's water and sun to to give us life and show us that there's more to life than you focusing on those painful pricks, then you're still going to grow. Those roses still grow in that rose bush. With them all poking each other, they still all grow. So we all have the power to grow in our situation. But are you going to focus on the pain of those thorns in your side? Or are you going to focus on what's in you and what's eating up that water and that soil and all that good stuff and that sunlight that's going to help you grow. I chose to pay attention to what was coming from my roots, coming from the foundation. And I allowed those things to help me grow. And those painful things do help me grow. And so hate is fuel for me sometimes. Sometimes I believe you need somebody to not like you so that it can fuel you to not give them life and allow them to kill you and so i won't let hate kill me i will let it allow me to live more and so it's it's really that simple
0: so i know you said you had two daughters um what's one lesson that you hope that they learn and keep with them that you've taught them throughout life well i have three daughters three daughters and three sons and so wait so you guys had three more kids Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, so six Yes, (laughs) like yes, the Brady Bunch.
1: <laughs> there are six and we do call ourselves the black Brady Bunch. <laughs> Definitely that. Um, what I do teach my daughters is that one, um, they're my daughters and and they're beautiful to me and they're not perfect. And I tell them that they're not perfect, you know, to everything that's going on out there in the world. But you're perfect to me. I was denied the right to have children before I had my first child. I was told by a doctor, you will not have any kids. And when I found out that I was pregnant, I made the clinic that I went to at the time. I was very, you know, I was young. um, I made them take six different tests. And I didn't believe it even myself. I was like, no, wait, wait, wait. That one's expired. That one's not good. You gotta do them all over. And so she was like, You don't have enough pee left to put on all these tests that you want, but we'll do it one more time. And so after the sixth time, I realized God is paying attention to every single prayer of mine. And I want my I wanted my daughters to know how important that was to me because I, I struggled to have every single one. I gave birth to five children. I was on bed rest with every single one of them. And my first one, I was hospitalized most of my pregnancy. And when I was released, I had her two days later. And so I wanted them to know, even though I made the choice against what everybody else said, my grandmother said, stop having kids. My Everybody was like, please don't do it anymore. You're killing yourself. I said, my children... Every single one of them has great purpose. I'm not going to stop having them until God says no more. And so Jonah, my last child, um, was conceived while we were homeless. We were homeless for 13 months after um, Superstorm Sandy. And that didn't put out any fire in my relationship. We still loved each other. We were still very, very hot and heavy. We were still enjoying each other's company. And intimacy wasn't dead. It actually grew. In our, in our adversity, in our experience. Not having a place to call your own and not being able to provide the, those little small things that we all want to give to our children and our families really allowed us to focus in on how important it was to really just focus on the family. Didn't matter where we were. We could be in a cardboard box today. We have each other. And so I wanted my daughters to know that we're sacrificing everything to make sure they know that there's somebody out there that's going to do all of this for you. Somebody is out here that's going to value the skin you're in. They're going to value your mind. They're going to value your power. They're going to value your passion. They're going to value your energy. They're going to value all of these things that you have. All you have to do is watch us do it. You know what I mean? Take these examples. See that it's not all perfect, but it's perfectly done with just us. We don't need anybody to add to this situation because this situation is perfect just the way that it is. And so my daughters, my sons, they all know that because we don't have any problem talking to them that way. You know what I'm saying? My son is three. My other son is 10. My daughter, Jordan, is 11. My daughter, Taylor, is 15. My daughter, Rayana, is 18. And my my stepson, Isaiah, is 17. And, you know, even though Isaiah is not in the house with us, You know, it's still important that he knows what he has at home. And we provide a home where there's a loving, growing family that wants their children to go out there into the world and not pretend. Be who you are and the person that is being themselves for you is going to come to you. You're not going to have to go running around, searching, dancing, gyrating, texting, inboxing, DMing, taking pictures and all these things for this person that was created for you. That person is already there. They're just waiting to bump into you. You just got to do what you were supposed to do so that you can get right there to meet them.
0: Song number two.
1: Brown Skin by India Irie is important to me. And also, I, I thought about it for this, this particular show. Being Dear Black Girl, you know, I know what it is to struggle being a black girl. I know what it also is to struggle being an obese black girl. I also know what it is to struggle being an obese black girl from the hood. I know what is the struggle is to be an obese black girl from the hood who's comes from dysfunction. You know, all of these things that you add on, you can't take away the fact that my strength some can come from my melanin skin. And, you know, when we walk in the power of being black women, black girls, black young ladies, we don't even realize that people are watching us. You know, we can get dressed and we come outside and your skin is shining, it's it's glittering, it's beautiful, it's perfect, it's, it's shaped just around you, just the way God intended for it to be. There's nothing that's out of place about it. It is all perfectly done. There's power in that if you learn how to walk in it. And so, I believe when India wrote that song, she was really, truly taking in her brown skin. She was understanding how truly powerful it is and how powerful it can be on the outside. We sometimes diminish how powerful our skin is because we check the shade, you know, it's too dark, it's too light you know it's in the middle and i and i want to be darker skinned or i want to be fairer skinned we're so unhappy with the shade but what's wrong with your shade of brown your brown is beautiful it's perfect and so being a black woman i know that i'm perfect and i know that i'm raising the very different shades in my home i have fair skin i have brown skin i have dark skin in my house i have orange eyes. I have blue eyes. I have brown eyes. I have all these different color eyes in my kids. That all comes from me. This beautiful brown woman right here gave birth to five different shades with five different kinds of eyes, you know, slanted, chinky, wide, round, all different colors. You know, that is power in itself. That's a gift. You know what I mean? That's you. You guys want to call it magic. I call it what God created. And that's the power in me to say, I can create perfection in, in being brown. It's versatility. It's difference. It's 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 unique. You know what I mean? Just like you. You're just a unique, beautiful, bold, wide-smiled, brown-skinned female who's out here getting everything that she deserves. Why not express how beautiful your brown skin is and what power it has?
0: I also wanted to, like, what are your thoughts? Because I know um, this being, like, I want to say, like, self-empowered and the whole black girl magic movement. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a new movement that's, like, re-sparked. It's very big. Like, what do you think attributes to that?
1: I really think it's um, that black women or minority women of, of many different cultures are realizing that we have power in the number one being us and then being, the, being a part of the group. You know, black women, minority women, I'll say, are, you know, college educated. They're spunky. They're full of fire. They're they're energetic. They're fashionable. You know, they're intelligent. They have all these beautiful things about them. And I think that when we realized how powerful we were in numbers and the things that we were accomplishing when we came together, then we realized how beautiful this black girl magic, black girl rock movement is. You know, we just need to come together and share what the goal is. The ultimate goal is empowerment. The ultimate goal is to, you know, improve, is to educate other young minority women that we're powerful in numbers. We can accomplish anything and we can do just as much as fairer skin, Caucasian, Asian, all these other different, you know, ethnicities out here. We have the power to do really great things. We can't come into this thing hating each other. We can't come into this thing being upset because your hair is finer than mine or your straighten's better when you go to the Dominicans than mine does or you know your braids are tighter or anything like that or your eyes, your eyelashes are longer. You know, we get so caught up in all these superficial things and we don't just really think about what are we As young black women or older black women, wiser black women bringing to the table to help bring the rear up. You know, we got these little girls coming and these little brown skinned girls are afraid. They're in fear of who they might become if they don't have the right kinds of support. And so I believe that the movement is to really help bring up the legacy, bring the future you know, to fruition. We need our little girls to know how important they are and how smart they are and how beautiful they are. And I think the movement is powerful. It really is. It's beautiful.
0: Song number one.
1: I Need You. I Need You by Hezekiah Walker um, is a powerful song in my life. And the reason that I chose it is because it was at the conception of my relationship with my husband. It was our wedding song. It was what I walked down the aisle to. And I know some people will say, oh, the song is all about you needing the man or, you know, needing your wife. It wasn't about that. The song is about needing God. It was like, I need you, God. I need you to be at the forefront of every single thing that I do in this life. And it's the first song that I think about because it's the first song that opened the door to my new life. When I was able to cut the apron strings and leave my parents and cling to my husband and he cling to his wife, it showed me that God had a plan so much further than I could see. But it took for me to walk down the aisle and jump over that broom and accept that ring from him. And I needed God to reveal to me how perfect that marriage was going to be. Now, like I said, it ain't perfect. It ain't perfect to everybody and what they see. But What God gave me is perfect, and what we have is perfect, even in our trials, even in our situations, even in our really low-down circumstances sometimes, it's still the perfect situation because we make it out. And so me needing God showed me that I need to definitely show my love to all the things that are perfect in his plan for me. I need you, Unique. I needed you to find a reason to want me to be here. I needed you to find your passion and even launch the the Dear Black Girl podcast. It's not just a podcast. It's a movement and it's a movement of your voice your voice has power in it you know people may not be able to see you but over the airwaves so many people are going to hear all of your energy and all of your zeal and all of your your power and all of your struggle and all of your you know all of your your wonderful things that are going to happen and that thing is going to move somebody to really follow their dreams and make those things reality and so you need to know there's something very special in you there's something very special in me. This encounter is a special encounter. I need you. You need me. And that's what the song says. We're all a part of God's body. And so, you know, knowing that we're all a part of the body. If my if I get a hangnail on my pinky finger, my whole body is affected. It hurts. I am giving that hangnail all of the attention. You know what I mean? If I bump my toe on the table or on the, on the coffee table, I'm screaming, crying. At my mouth, not at my toe. My toe didn't (laughs) scream. My mouth screamed. You know what I mean? That's the same way that the body of Christ works. If the body of Christ is ailing in any form, in any area, we're all in pain. We're all suffering. We're all going through. And so when the song says that I need you and you need me, we're all a part of God's body. I need everybody to know that I need them. I need you guys. And I need you to love me and be a support to me. But first trust God. And so that's why that song was one. It was because I knew that I needed to trust God that everything in the body of Christ was going to affect me. And so I needed to get up and stand upright and get right.
0: Developing like relationships with God because there are people that struggle mm-hmm. with finding that relationship. Like what is some advice you would get to someone that's trying to find that connection with God?
1: I would say in order for you to find God, he's already there. You have to acknowledge him. You know, the word of God says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your path. That's Proverbs 3, 5, I believe. If you don't acknowledge him, you won't find him. But if you acknowledge who God is, if you say, God, yes, I know that you're there. And it is clear to me that I need to serve you. I must humble myself and serve you. And I need to accept that it is only you who I need to serve. You know, once you've accepted him into your life, he makes all things right. Even when your situation is bad, those things still become right. Because if you trust him enough, he's going to direct your path because that's what the word of God says. That's not my word. That's his word. You know what I'm saying? I ain't stealing nothing. I ain't plagiarizing God. (laughs) You know, so... It's about acknowledgement. The same way that when you walk into a room, you want to be acknowledged. You want people to know that you're there. You want people to say, hey, that's you over there, Unique. What's good? How are you, homegirl? God wants you to do the same exact thing. Hey, God, what's going on? How are you? I see that you're here and I know that you're here with me and I know that you've carried me all this way. You woke me up this morning. You started me on my way. You got me to my job safely. You allowed me to eat my food. Thank you, God, for this food. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for getting me to my home and not allowing any harm or danger to come into my life. Thank you, Father, for everybody returning safely into this place. And you have made my home a sanctuary. Thank you, God, for putting me to sleep and allowing me to rest easy this evening. And Lord God, whatever it is that you have in the plans for my life tomorrow, I am trusting you that you will direct my path, whether it is to sleep in sweet and eternal peace or to get up and move and do things in order the way you would desire for them to do. That's me acknowledging God all day Long. Acknowledge him. It's very easy. Yes, you may say he's out there. He's mysterious. We cannot see him. How is it? How is it? Well, I ask you this Did he need help creating the sun? Did he need help structuring every star in the sky? Did he need your help to create this earth? And did he need anything from you to bring you here? No, absolutely not. That's what lets me know that God is real because I don't have any control over life. I don't say that life can be born because of my ultimate black woman womb. No, I know that God said now is the time to bring life into this world. He did that for me. He did that for you. He did that for all of us. And so I can't take credit for life. Life comes from him. And so I have to acknowledge him every day for my life because there'll be a day where I lay down and I go to sleep and may my soul rest in peace when it does happen. But I also pray that the life that he gave me Will encourage someone else to acknowledge him, cause it ain't about me; it's about him.
0: So, what do you want your legacy to be?
1: I want my legacy to be that I was a humble servant, I was a hardworking individual that I loved every single person, um, even those that can't stand me, um, and that I loved my family. You know, those are the, those are a part of my legacy. But what I will say is. It's not just about my legacy. It's about the legacy that I'm also already in. And so, my me myself, I'm eighth generation. My children are ninth generation. Free, black uh, individuals who came here and settled in New York City on Staten Island. My ancestor was the first African American man to purchase property on Staten Island, and we settled in a community that was a part of the Underground Railroad where my church and the two cottages still do stand today. My grandmother was born in in that cottage and my family's, my entire family was birthed in that space, created in that space. And so, you know, I'm working a lot harder than somebody next to me might be because of what my ancestors have done, what captain john jackson did by him purchasing that property on staten island and being recorded as the first african-american man to purchase property there are huge shoes for me to fill and though i cannot fill those shoes i will walk in the footsteps of every prayer that he ever had of us succeeding because he went on on limb to do that and so my legacy is their legacy i don't really you know i don't have one unless i'm doing what they desired for me to do
0: that's powerful, okay, so before we go, you have to give us your dear black girl open letter. okay, I gotta go on my phone,
1: dear black girls. I am talking to the girls, the young ladies, the women living under the color of their of your skin. I challenge you, ladies to live inside out. I ask you to love the skin you're in and live beyond your color. That majestic and magnificent melanin has power without words. You're always seen before you speak. Don't focus on what reflects in the eyes of others inside. Instead, reflect what your heart has to offer. My life has been made up of many tears and much laughter. I have been overwhelmed and stuck in my overthinking. I can't express to you enough how important it all was then because I am who I am today. I had to climb many hills And I had to walk through very, very dark valleys. And I knew that I was never alone. God was always with me. And so I say to you, God will always be with you. Know your worth and walk in it. He fearfully and wonderfully made you in his image so that you could inherit all that he has already planned for you to receive. It was best said and promoted by our United States Army to be all that you can be, but I say be the best. Know that I love you. It's from your sister, Shawnee.